we are continuing our series in prayer, and for the last few weeks, we've been going through this acronym ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And today, we've come to the S of ACTS, and that's supplication. Supplication can also be called petition. It's, a, it's the humble requests that we make of God. And as we explore Ephesians 1 today, we're going to see how Paul's prayer may differ in some ways than the typical uh, petitions or supplications that we offer. And we want to see how our prayers might better align with his, which are aligned with the heart of God. So with that, let's Turn to Ephesians 1. It's up on your screens as well. I'll read it out. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. He says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may sit down and let's go to the Lord now in prayer as we seek to understand and apply his word. Father in heaven, we are in desperate need of you. We ask that you would reveal to us your heart for prayer as we examine Paul's prayer here, that you led him to write by the power of your spirit. Lord, illumine our hearts. Help us to know and understand you. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what is the biggest need that you have in your life right now? What is your biggest need in your life right now? Another way to put it would be if you were to pray and ask God for one thing right now, what would that thing be? Just knowing a number of you, I would suspect that these are some of the things that are top of mind. Some of you would be praying for physical healing for yourselves or for others. Others would pray for a resolution of difficult situations in your home, in your family life, or, or in work, or just relational difficulties. For new parents, at the top of your list, maybe I want to get a good night's sleep. That would be at the very top of your needs. You need rest. And all of these things are wonderful petitions. They're wonderful needs that we can bring to our Holy Father. They're things that we need to bring to Him. But no matter what circumstances we're facing right now, no matter how difficult things are, 
we all have a bigger need than the ones I just mentioned. The Apostle Paul was deeply aware of this need, and he centers his prayer for the Ephesians around that need in today's text. What is that need? It is the need to know God in a deeper way. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson said that knowing God is your single greatest privilege as a Christian. Paul here is using the word knowledge in the passage in his prayer differently than how we often use it. Because when we use the word knowledge, we're thinking about obtaining information, just knowing something intellectually. But Paul, when he's talking about knowledge of God, he's talking about experiential knowledge, something that is felt and experienced, something that we are absolutely convinced of and believe in the core of our beings. The great evangelist Billy Graham said, most of us know about God, but that is quite different from knowing God. And so that leads us to the main call for us today coming out of this passage in Paul's prayer. This is the kind of main call for us. It's to pray for a deepening knowledge of God. Pray for a deepening knowledge of God. And from Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 1, we can observe two principles of petition that he's requesting that will help us as we seek to deepen our knowledge of God. Two principles of petition. The first principle is this. Pray for other believers. Pray for other believers. That's in uh, verses 15 and 16. And the second principle is this. Pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. That's in the rest of the prayer in verses 17 to 23. Well, let's first think about this principle, which is to pray for other believers. When we pray, God doesn't want us merely to pray for ourselves, for our own needs, for our own wants. Surely, it includes that, but it should not merely be that. He wants us to remember that we are part of his body and that we have been brought into a community And we grow in our knowledge of God as we see Christ in God's people, in community. It's the, what Paul says at the end of his prayer, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, Christ fills fills himself, is full, through the church. And so only as we know the needs of the church, as we're involved in the church, can we continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us for our trespasses. You see, we're embedded in the prayer that how God wants us to pray is prayer for others, considering others. It's not just me and God, and then I go to heaven. It's us and God, and together he's working his plan in this world. So Paul is putting this principle into practice. He's praying for Christians from the city of Ephesus and likely its surrounding areas. If you remember from Acts 19, Ephesus was influenced by the magic arts. There was a lot of kind of spiritualism going on there. It was also the home to the temple of the false god Artemis and people from all around that region would come to Ephesus to worship this idol. But God had powerfully called the Ephesians out of this 
context of false worship, and they had trusted in Jesus. These were people who knew God. They had believed in Jesus. But to live faithfully for Christ in this hostile culture, they needed to grow in their knowledge of him. And that's what Paul is praying for them. Now, there's a good chance that Paul did not know most of these people. These were people that he just heard about. He heard about their faith. He heard about their love. But he starts praying for them. He's been praying for them constantly, thanking God for them. Listen to what he says in verse 15. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So you can think about Paul. He had heard a report about the Ephesians' faith in Jesus and their love for fellow believers, and he is continually giving thanks to God for accomplishing his work in the Ephesian believers. And that work is what he has just detailed earlier in chapter one, which is also true of us, of the work that he has done in every single one of us who have believed in Jesus. What are some of those things that he's giving thanks for? He's giving thanks that they have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, verse three of chapter one. They were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. They were predestined for adoption in Jesus Christ. They have redemption through Christ's blood and have been forgiven of their sins. They have learned the mystery of God's will, which is that Jews and Gentiles are both called in one body to glorify him. They have obtained an inheritance. They have believed the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and they have received the Holy Spirit. So quite a list. It's quite a list for us who have believed in Jesus as well. But similar to Paul, every time we reflect on the faith of fellow believers, every time we see God at work in others' lives, as we see their love, as we see their deeds, God wants us to give thanks. That should lead us to giving thanks for what he is doing in their lives, because it's evidence of God's plan being accomplished. But Paul's prayer, if you notice, doesn't just end with thanksgiving. He allows it to go into petition. And that's true for this whole model of acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Each step is to lead us into the next one. So as we adore our God, as we remember who God is, as we remember his holiness, his greatness, his perfection, it will lead us into confession because we will see just how different we are than him. We will see that we do not line up with that standard. And as we confess, it will lead us to thanksgiving because of what God has done for us in Christ, how he has forgiven us all of our sins. And then this thanksgiving should lead us to supplication or petition, uh, asking God for things for ourselves and for others. Well, Paul's prayer here for others is a good reminder. It's a good reminder for us that if we are a Christian, we're not independent, but we're interdependent. It can be very easy, can it not, to think of our relationship with God in a very individualistic way. As I said in the intro, it's just me and God. 
It's my relationship with God. It's my quiet time. It's my prayer time. It's my Bible study. But that is not the way that God has designed it to be. God wants us to be praying for other believers. He wants us to be concerned with the body at large as we walk with him, just like Paul did. And so by way of application, I want you to consider today how you can grow in the way that you are praying for other believers. So one, one way to do this is to think of someone at, here at Hope Fellowship. Who is someone that you see God at work, uh, God's work in them? Who is someone that you can give thanks to for their faith and what uh, God has accomplished in and through them? And as you pray and thank God for that person, this week, would you pray along with Paul's prayer here in Ephesians, would you pray these things that we're going to get into in detail in the next section? Would you pray scripture that they might know God in a deeper way? God wants us to pray for other believers. Well, that leads us to the second principle of petition in this text as we seek to deepen our knowledge of God, and that's that we should pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. You see, oftentimes as believers, we fail to see what is true of us, and we either forget or we don't realize the spiritual resources that are ours. We can be like Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6. Do you remember that story? You'll remember the Syrian army was surrounding the city because they wanted to get Elisha. And this Elisha's servant was terrified. He was saying, like, what are we going to do? There's a whole Syrian army around us. But Elisha knew the reality. He could see something that his servant could not. And so he prayed there in 2 Kings 6, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Elisha wanted him to see this spiritual reality. He didn't want him to just see the present pressing circumstances. That seemed impossible. Well, the Lord granted that request of Elisha's, and the text says that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, friends, this is what Paul is doing here as he prays for the Ephesians. He's asking God to reveal himself to them, to show them what is theirs in Christ. Listen to what he prays in verse 17. He is praying that the Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, we don't want to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He is not praying for them to be given the Holy Spirit. They already have the Holy Spirit. He said that earlier in chapter 1. He's also not praying for a special second blessing of the Spirit or some mystical experience that they just have to understand what the Spirit is doing, the Spirit of God. No, instead, he is praying that the Spirit would continue to reveal the glories of the gospel to them as revealed in Holy Scripture, that he would convince them of what is already theirs in Christ at the core of their beings that their eyes might be opened, like Elisha's servants' eyes were opened. You know, teachers love that moment 
when the light bulb goes on for their students. I was just talking to one of you in our congregation recently, how, how you just love when you're teaching uh, some difficult concept and at a moment, a child just lights up and realizes, I get it. I get what you're trying to tell me. And that is what Paul is praying for here. He's not praying, though, just for one light bulb moment, but for ongoing light bulb moments for the Ephesians regarding the knowledge of God. And their teacher is the Holy Spirit. And this illumination from the Holy Spirit is not just for new believers. It's not just for those who do not know Christ. It is for all of us at whatever stage of our Christian walk we're in, whether we came to Christ last week or we've been walking with him for decades. We need to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, nothing is more dangerous than to be satisfied with that measure of spiritual benefits which has already been obtained. Whatever then may be the height of our attainments, let them always be accompanied by the desire for something higher. You see, if we're not striving for a deeper knowledge of God, we will strive for something else. Because our world tempts us to strive after many different things, things such as uh, status and wealth and power. But here, in his prayer, Paul is pointing out that nothing can compare with the spiritual status, the spiritual wealth, and the spiritual power that those of us who believe in Jesus already have because of what God has done for us. You see, we don't have to strive after these things. We don't have to strive after status and wealth and power. We already have them in Christ. But we need the Spirit's illuminating help to see, to understand how these things are already ours. So with that, let's look at these three realities that Paul is praying for the Ephesians and therefore praying for us these three realities of being a Christian, our status, our wealth, and <clears throat> our power. So first reality, our status. Look at verse 18. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is this hope that Paul is referring to? He's referring to the hope of seeing Jesus face to face one day. It's the hope of eternal life with Christ. It's the hope of a resurrection body, of living in the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, if you know and love Jesus, this is your hope. This is the hope to which you have been called. So Paul is praying that you may know this hope deep in the core of who you are so that it would affect your life today. Friends, if you know and love Jesus, your hope is secure. No matter how your life is going right now, your hope is secure. It can't be taken from you. Your status is secure. Your identity is secure. Your identity is not in your job. Your identity is not in how your family is going. Your identity is not in anything that the world puts their value on. Your identity is squarely in Christ and what he has done for you. Our hope is in Jesus and the life that he has secured for us, both now and forever. So that's reality one. He wants us to know our status. He's praying that we might know our status, our identity. Reality two, he wants us to know the wealth that is ours, our inheritance. So look at verse 18. 
He prays that they may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Here Paul is continuing the discussion about the inheritance that he started earlier in chapter 1 in verse 11 where he said that in him, that is Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. And then in verse 14 he says we have a down payment of that inheritance who is the Holy Spirit of God. So when you put down a down payment on a home, some of you own homes, and uh, that's a good or bad thing. That's, a, that's another discussion. But when you put a down payment on a home, you are telling the bank that more of this will be coming probably over the next 30 years until I actually own the home. And so many of us know what that is like. But similarly, when you believe in Jesus, you receive the down payment of the Holy Spirit. He gives you a taste of that future inheritance that is yours that's going to be fully yours forever. It's what the Bible calls, uh, or theologians call, the already not yet. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and we will be given the full inheritance one day. And since the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the inheritance, it makes sense that he would be the one to comprehend and help us understand what this inheritance will be like. So we can go elsewhere in the New Testament to think about the inheritance. One place that's helpful to go is in 1 Peter 1, where it says that this inheritance, Peter describes it in this way. He, He describes it as imperishable, meaning the inheritance you have been given in Christ will never wear out. It will never die. It is undefiled. It's not tainted with sin or any kind of evil or wrongdoing. It is pure. This inheritance is unfading. That means it's eternal. It will last forever. It's not going to run out, and it's kept in heaven for you, meaning it's God's uh, possession. It's, It's waiting to be revealed in his timing. This is the inheritance Paul wants the Ephesians to know, and he wants us to know. Not merely that there is an inheritance, but the wealth, the riches of this glorious inheritance. It's far greater and far longer lasting than anything we could think or conceive about. This week I was looking up some various people who had received an inheritance, and there was some person who had received hundreds of millions of dollars. There's another person who received an inheritance that then became a billion dollars. Well, friends, those inheritances pale in comparison to what you have been given in Christ. $100 million, $1 billion, nothing in comparison to what you have in Christ. You have uh, this inheritance to see Jesus face to face. You have a permanent home in God's kingdom forever. It can never be taken from you. Well, why is that important? Why is this important for us to know? Because if we don't remember our inheritance, we'll think that this earth is all that there is. If we don't remember our inheritance, if the Spirit doesn't illumine our eyes so that we understand what is ours, we'll place too much importance on the here and now. That's why passages such as Hebrews 11 are so helpful to us. 
Because there in Hebrews 11, we have all these examples of people that were living by faith. We have Moses, we have Noah, we have Sarah, we have Abraham, we've got Joseph. All of these people were living in faith, and they did so because of the inheritance that was theirs. Listen to what Hebrews 11 verse 13 says. It says that all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them this inheritance. And it's this kind of perspective shift that the Apostle Paul wants the Ephesians to know and to experience and to live in light of. And the same thing is true for us today. You see, many of the Ephesians, when they were saved, they burned their costly magic books. It was thousands and thousands of dollars. They gave up a lot to follow Christ. They were persecuted. And Paul wants them to know that it's all worth it. Everything you have given up to follow Christ, it's all worth it. Because what you have coming to you pales in comparison to what you gave up. And the same thing is true for us today. So I want you to consider today, I want you to ask yourself this question. As you think about your life's direction, as you think about the things that occupy your thoughts and your attention, the the way that you spend your time, I want you to think about, does how your life, how you live your life reflect the fact that this world is not your home? How does your life reflect the fact that this world is not your home, that you have an inheritance coming to you? It's not now, but it is coming to you. How does your life reflect that you are royalty, children of the king, but you're living in exile right now? You're in a foreign land. Or how is your life, uh, how are you living your life as though this is all there is? What kind of life are you living? You see, when you live as an heir of God's kingdom, it will shift the way you spend your time. It will shift the way that you think and what you give your attention to because you will spend all your time thinking about that kingdom, that inheritance, because that is where your true home is. Well, that's the second reality that Paul is praying for. He's praying that we might know the wealth and the inheritance that is ours in Christ. And the third reality he comes to is now dealing with the power that is ours. And he he has that in the first half of verse 19. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? You see, friends, the power that is yours when you believe in Jesus cannot be overstated. It's far greater than anything you might imagine. It's the power to defeat and forsake sin. It's the power to live as God intends you to live. God has given that kind of power to you today if you know and love Jesus. There's a saying that's attributed to John Bunyan that highlights this power that is at work within us 
to defeat sin and to live in God intends, it goes something like this. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. See, Paul is praying here that, that this power that gives us wings to live out the gospel, to live in the power of what God has called us to do, this power is far exceeding whatever you may think it is. That you may know that it's immeasurably great. It's almost as if Paul can't tell us how great this power is. He, he piles up all these words uh, trying to say it's exceedingly great, it's, it's amazingly great. He's He's uh, trying with the limits of language to tell us how great this power is. And then he settles on, you know what this power is? What it's like? It's, it's God's power within you. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. There's, there's no greater power than that. So he goes to that power. So let's, let's keep reading in verse 19. He says, this is what the power is like and what it is. It's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what is Paul doing here? It seems like he's kind of like taking a detour. Well, friends, when we're praying about what uh, Christ has done and the power of Christ, it's never a detour in Scripture. It's, uh, it's always the main point. And so what Paul is highlighting here, he's highlighting God's power that was displayed in Jesus in three main ways. First, he's highlighting God's power that raised Jesus from the dead, meaning when he did the impossible, when he defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He satisfied God's wrath against sin. That kind of power is within you. It's the power that put Jesus over everything in the position of ultimate power. That's what it's talking about when it says that he's at his right hand in the heavenly places. The right hand was the position of power in the kingdom. Jesus was given the ability to reign as sovereign king over all creation. You see, the Ephesians were kind of concerned about these evil spiritual powers because in their culture, that was a big deal. And that's what these rulers and authorities are referring to in the context. Paul is saying he's over all rule and authority and power and dominion. He's over all of it. He's also over all human rule, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He, this power that is at work within us is God's power that he gave uh, Jesus to the church. It means that the one who rules over all also rules over the church, which is his body. You know, when we look at the church, whether it's Hope Fellowship or the church around the world, it may seem a bit weak right now. It may seem like it doesn't have much power. But friends, Scripture affirms that Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. All these institutions, all these nations that you see around, they will pass away, but the church will not pass away. It will endure forever. There's power 
as that, that God gave to Jesus uh, as he gave Jesus to the church. But this power isn't given to all people. If you go back to verse 19, it says it only comes to those who believe. And perhaps this morning there's someone here who doesn't yet have that power within because you're still in the dark. You haven't received the light of the gospel, who is Jesus. Later on in Ephesians 4, it says, if you don't know Jesus, you're darkened in your understanding. You're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in you due to your hardness of heart. That is true of you if you do not know Jesus. You need spiritual light. You need to understand this gospel. But if you find yourself there this morning, know that God is pursuing you in Jesus. As we talked about, even from before the beginning of time, he is calling people to himself, and he is calling you to himself even today. And so if you don't yet know Jesus, he is calling you to believe in his son, to believe that he is the one who can take away your sin and allow you to live forever. That's how you gain a new status. That's how you gain a new inheritance. That's how you gain power, this power from God. So if you haven't done that yet today, I would ask you, plead with you to trust in Christ, to pray that you might give him lordship over your life. But for many of us, we've done that. We are believers and the challenge for us is to live in light of that identity, of who we are in Christ. You see, many of us think the way to grow spiritually is just by simple discipline and self-effort. We just got to try harder. We just got to put something on the calendar. And those are good things to do. But really, the way that we grow is through the Holy Spirit's illumination of what, of, what is ours in Christ. We grow in the same way that we came to Christ, by grace through faith. That's how we grow in the Christian life. This grace that we've received in Jesus Christ is the same grace that trains us to say no to ungodliness and, and uh, ungodly passions and things like that. And so the question is, are you praying in that way? Are you praying that God, through his spirit, might Open the eyes of your heart that give you a better understanding of who God is. And when you pray for others, are you praying in that way? Are you praying that they may know what is the power that is theirs in Christ? What is the inheritance that is theirs? What the status, their, their status in Christ, what that is. That's how God wants us to pray for ourselves and for others. So why not ask the Lord to reveal himself to you in that way? So the biggest takeaway today for us should not be some kind of to-do list. Well, I've got to do these four things. But rather, the biggest takeaway today in this text is that you might realize through the power of his spirit a deepening knowledge of God, experiential knowledge of God, a deepening security that comes from knowing who you are and what is yours because of Jesus. If you know and love Jesus, because of him, you have hope, hope that will never fade away. Because of Jesus, you have a glorious inheritance that will not be taken away. 
And because of Jesus, you have God's power at work within you today. So as these realities become more real to you, as you rely on them, it will transform the way you live. And it's not a one-time transformation, it's a lifelong transformation. So let us pray that the Lord might enlighten our hearts, that we might know him better, so we might continue down this path of knowing him. Well, who God is and what he has done for us is so great that it can never be fully grasped this side of heaven. Paul affirms that in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, Paul says, God has revealed to us by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Friends, what a privilege it is to know God, and what a privilege it is to continue uh, deepening our knowledge of God. And so will you, as you think about petition and supplication, will you petition the Lord of all for yourself and for others, following the example of Paul, so that your greatest need, the need of knowing God, might continue to be filled day by day in you and in those you love. I'll end with this. Paul says in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together.